Hey everybody, what's up? Thank you, worship team. Amen to every bit of that. Well, uh, my name is Jeff. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, if I have met you, you probably know that I spell it with a G, which is strange, and it's never showed up that way on a Starbucks coffee cup when I make an order. I've never taken the time to explain to the barista, actually, it's spelled G-E-O-F-F. I, don't, I just don't deal. Um, and CCF really is a family to us. We really take it seriously, the opportunity to get to know each other. So let me tell you a little bit about myself, so that if you're new with us, I'm not a total stranger. Um, and if you'd like to come and meet me afterwards, that would be awesome. I would love to meet you. In fact, really, we all would. All of us here, CCF family, we'd love to meet them, right? There you go. Yeah, for real. Okay, so a little bit about me. I actually did not grow up in this country. Uh, my parents uh, are missionaries uh, uh, in Nairobi, Kenya, in East Africa, which is where I spent most of my pre-college life. And in fact, my mom and dad are visiting me from Kenya. My dad's in the back with some of my family. Give a wave, Dad. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Maya. So if you want some real stories about Mini Jeff, you talk to him. And then you can blackmail me for all the money I have, which is like so much. Uh, let's see. But I did, like you, go to Western when I came back to the States for, for university. And I got involved in CCF as a student. So I, too, was once sitting in these same blinding orange chairs. My eyes have been burning for 17 years looking at these chairs. Um, let's see. I'm also a dad and a husband. There's some more of my family back there. Jessica is the beautiful blonde in the back. You wave hello. Yes. And Maya is my youngest daughter. Wave Maya. Say hello. And then Jack is my center son. Say, hey, what's up, Jack? Hey, yep. Yep, he's great. And then Owen, our oldest, the spring-loaded one, he's home. He needed, he needed bedtime. Uh, let's see. What else about myself? Uh, the other thing that's important you should know about me is I love college students. I do. I love you guys. You are my favorite kind of people. You're just fantastic. I love college students because, and really this is kind of true for like our whole staff team, so we're kind of still around, still here. Um, I love college students because you guys and gals are on the cutting edge of becoming the people you are going to be for the rest of your lives. Do you ever think of it that way? You're like, whoa, Jeff, I was just coming to college. I'm not going to like become the person I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Calm down. Nope, it's going to happen. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, when you graduate, and it will happen eventually, Some of you seniors are like, oh, preach, yes, (laughs) yes. It will happen eventually. When you graduate, you will be such a changed person from when you got here. All kinds of things are changing, especially if you're new. All kinds of things are changing in your life right now, aren't they? How you spend your time is changing, right? No one's going to call you to make sure you make it to class on time. No one's going to make sure you get enough sleep. That's on you now, right? And good luck, and God bless. (laughs) Your friends will probably change in college too. Did you know that no one will shape your college experience more than the people you choose to spend it with? That's true. Seriously, the squad you choose here in college (laughs) will have the biggest impact on your experience here in college. Also, 
your opinions about whatever people happen to be screaming about on Facebook, those will change too. Those will develop. Those will mature. Those will become your thing. For example, in college, you get to decide what you think about NFL players taking a knee at the national anthem. And you don't have to agree with anybody. (laughs) Not me, not your parents, not your high school friends, not your professors, not the president of the United States, not even the person sitting next to you. All of this is up to you now. Totally your call to decide what you think about whatever the hot topics are in our culture. Time, friends, food, sleep, politics, class, it's all changing and it's all up to you how you navigate that. And that's also true for your spiritual life. You're probably going to change spiritually while you're in college because you get to decide what you think about God. And whether you've come to college super ready to dive into what Jesus is up to on this campus, ready to be mentored by somebody in your faith, or if you're just checking Jesus out, kind of dipping your toe in the water to see what the temperature of CCF is, or if you're somewhere in between, then you are in the right place. This is a great community to get to know what God is like. Because whatever your spiritual developments, explorations, or deepenings are on their way, we want to be a community that helps you navigate those changes as you start making spiritual decisions for your own life. It's your time now. And we want to be as helpful to that as possible. And one of the ways that we figure out what God is like in this community is by reading the Bible together. In this community, when it comes to getting to know God... This is our source text. Well, I mean, you all might have your own, or you can find it online. This is mine, but you can check it out. We don't always use this one. But this is the place where God so often speaks for himself. And it's not really a book. It's it's more like a library full of books where we see how God behaves, what his moods are, what his character is like, how he treats people. So tonight we're going to look at two stories from this library. Two stories where God speaks for himself and tells us and shows us what he's like. The first one comes from the Old Testament. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the Bible, so you already know that the Bible is divided into two testaments, old and new. But if you're not familiar with the Bible, then in some ways you are actually at an advantage Because you don't come to this library with all these preconceptions. If it's all fresh to you, you might actually see things that those of us who've gotten used to it haven't seen. Right? But if you are familiar with the Bible, there's a good chance you might not be that familiar with the Old Testament. Because let's be real, even in church, the Old Testament does not get a lot of airtime these days. Am I right? Which is such a bummer, because there is all kinds of really cool stuff in there, really helpful stuff in there, about war, and wisdom, and men, and women, and sex, and leadership, and poetry, and evolution, and politics. It's all in there. Stuff that kind of matters to us today, right? So, if you've ever had any questions about the Old Testament, you should join me for lunch on Wednesdays. I'm serious. Every Wednesday, bring your lunch to the VU. We meet out in the open area. We're next to, just past that, the, the coffee counter, and we can talk about any question you've ever had about the Old Testament. 
We'll call it Old Testament lunch. <laughs> and there's details on that announcement sheet, on your sheet, on your, on your seat. The sheet on your seat. It's there. And one more quick thing. How many of you know that the Old Testament is not the only part of the Bible that's kind of hard to understand? Anybody ever tried to read the book of Revelation? Whoa! The last one in the library, if you've never come across it, it's crazy, but it's in there. And there's, there's more info for you on that sheet, and we'll hear more about it next week, but we are going to offer an entire class this fall called Understanding the Book of Revelation. It is going to be an awesome class about a wild book. You should check it out. Because we really want this whole library to be accessible to you as you try to figure out what you think about God whether he's brand new to you or if you want to go deeper, okay? Okay, let's get to our texts for tonight. The first story we're going to talk about tonight is about a guy named Moses, the first leader of God's people. And there's this moment up on a mountain in the book of Exodus, the second book in this library, when Moses is meeting with God while the rest of God's people are camped out at the base of the mountain. This is kind of an, an archaeological guess of which mountain it is. Yeah, that lump right in the middle. That's kind of how, what some scholars guess. That might be the mountain they were talking about in this story. And Moses tells God, I want to see you for everything that you are. The way he says it is, show me your glory. In other words, give me the full picture. Give me the HD version of who you are. I've learned a lot so far, but give me the whole picture. I want to know everything about you. And God says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll explain who I am. I'm not just going to show myself to you. That'll be too much for you to handle. But I'll walk in front of you and I'll tell you my full name. Now, names back then were not like names today. Like, my name is Jeff, but that doesn't actually tell you anything about me, right? Jeff could be anybody. They're more like titles. Like in the old days, when, uh, when you introduced a monarch and you explained who he was and who his father was and what lands he rules over and what he's known for, all of that. It was this long, extended kind of title. That's what a name was. So God says, I'll explain to you who I am by telling you my full name. Here's what he says. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there, they're up on that mountain, and proclaimed the name the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, Yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's a long name. And there's a lot in there. But I just want to notice some things with you from this long name that God gives to Moses. Look at that first phrase that the Lord says. I mean, if you think about it, how many different ways could God have begun introducing himself with this name to Moses? Could have started it any way he wanted, with any description. But instead, he chooses to start with this the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, this phrase is thick. There is a lot of meat in there to chew on. Each of these words is worth the time. 
But let's tonight, let's look at the first one, the very first one. The Hebrew word for compassion is rachum. It's kind of fun to say because it's got the back of the throat scrape going on. Say it with me. Rachum. Yeah, Hebrew scholars, all of you, welcome. <laughs> but the reason I tell you that, the reason that matters is that rachum, compassion, comes from the same root word as womb in Hebrew. Rechum. They're related words. So, the very first way God chooses to describe himself to Moses here in the Bible is, I'm like a mother with a baby in her womb. That's how I feel about you. Or I'm like a mama bear with her cubs. Have you ever visited someone in the hospital right after they've had a baby? You know that look in mom's eye as she looks at this new baby? I wonder if you ever think that God looks at you like that. I'm a dad, as I said, and I remember when my daughter was born, our third child, Miss Maya back there. Hello. Hey, girl. My wife's twin. Just Photoshop her face on a little person, and that's my daughter. <laughs> but I remember when she was born. So our third child, my first daughter, I remember holding her, and something inside me changed. I remember thinking, I will damage someone. If anyone messes with this child, if somebody comes at this little girl, I might go to jail. I wonder if that's your first impression of how God feels about you. I think he wants it to be. I think that's why he gives that first thing to Moses. When Moses says, show me your glory, he says, the first thing I want you to know is this. I have a fierce compassion for you. That's what God's like. And that's in the Old Testament. Sometimes people think something happens to God between the Old and the New Testament. I hear it a lot. The God of the Old Testament is the angry, grumpy God who smites people. Right? But the God of the New Testament is all about grace and love and forgiveness and fluffy pillows. And I get that. And some people might even think that that, that, that that idea comes from this passage. I mean, you look at the next verse, right? Keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children, the children's children in the, to the third and fourth generation. See, Jeff? I knew God would get grumpy in there somewhere. But I would suggest, no. This is not grumpy God. This is realistic God. God isn't saying he punishes their kid, the kids for what their parents do. That would be pretty nasty. Holding someone responsible for something they never did. But that's not what it means. God's realistic. How many of you know that what your parents do has an effect on you? I know it does. I've got kids. I'm always thinking, oh, snap. How are my actions going to affect my kids? What am I creating over here? How many of you know that how your parents' parents acted affected them and is now coming down on you? I think you know this is true. When people wrong us, it leaves a mark, doesn't it? When parents wrong us, 
those marks run really deep. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But God isn't punishing you for what they did. He's being realistic. He knows that sin has consequences that other people don't deserve. And he knows that some consequences get stuck to families, don't they? And you might say, well, why can't God just fix it? Oh, he wants to. Look at what he says right before that part. He is way more interested in maintaining love and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I mean, you could even just do the math, right? The verse says three, maybe four generations of consequences compared to a thousand generations of love and faithfulness. I mean, just as an equation, that means that God is 250 times more interested in showing love and abounding in steadfast love than he is on bringing down the consequences for people's actions. I wonder if you knew that God was like that. I wonder if you knew that God was like that in the Old Testament. This name that God gives to Moses in this story ends up becoming the most common way that God is referred to for the rest of the Old Testament. The Lord, full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It shows up all across the library. It becomes his most famous nickname. And nothing changes between the Testaments. Nothing changes when God makes his entrance from the Old Testament into the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. Not one thing changes about his character. There's a story that makes its way because it's so crucial, so excellent. It makes its way into several books in the New Testament right at the beginning. It's a story about Jesus coming down from a mountain like the one Moses was on. And the crowds of people are following him because Jesus is talking the way God talks, saying things that only God says, and doing things that only God can do. That just might draw a crowd. And he's surrounded by people at the foot of the mountain. And this is what happens. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him. And knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, we've got to enter the drama of this story. It's important to know a couple things about leprosy. First, it was terminal. There was no cure. Once you got it, you knew how you were going to die. Second, it was contagious. Which means that as soon as you found out you had this skin disease, you had to leave. You had to leave your family. You had to leave your town. You had to leave everything you were familiar with and go live in a colony with other infected people so that nobody else caught your disease. And if they ever needed to come into some kind of populated area, they needed to bang a bell to let people know they were coming. Or they had to shout, unclean, unclean, so people could know to move out of the way. Now remember, there's a crowd around Jesus in this story. Which means that this contagious guy had to push his way through that crowd to make it to Jesus' feet. 
which means he's knocking into people on his way to Jesus. And so as people realize who he is and see the disease on his skin, you have to imagine they are going to freak out. They are probably picking up stones at that minute saying, what are you doing here? What is this leper doing? He's going to get us all killed. Get him out of here. You have to enter the drama of the text. You have to hear all that in the story. And then, when you're in that drama, look at Jesus. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. And the man was healed. When I read this story, I wonder, when was the last time that someone touched this man on purpose? We don't know how long he's been sick. And do you notice that Jesus touches him before he heals him? Jesus makes contact before he's not contagious anymore. Jesus could still catch it, and he touches him anyway. Jesus is not afraid of what's ruining this man's life. He's not afraid like the crowd is. Instead, he is moved with compassion. And where have we seen that word before? It's the same word that God spoke to Moses about the first thing he wanted Moses to know about himself. A gut-level compassion. A tender, protective, willing-to-die-for-you compassion. Jesus is not a contradiction of the Old Testament God. He is the glory of God lived out right in front of us. Even when Jesus is hanging on the cross at the end of his life, when he's been betrayed by one of his best friends and turned on by his own people, people who now accuse him of being a terrorist and cheer for his crucifixion. Even while he's hanging there from spikes in his hands and his feet, suffocating, he looks out over the crowd who hung him there, and he gasps, Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. He would rather avert the consequences of their actions. He's still at least 250 times more interested in forgiving them than seeing them suffer what he knows will be the consequences of their actions. If you want to get to know God this year, if you want to let him be your God, or if you want to grow as one of his followers, that's what he's like. And I know there's a lot of things changing in your life right now. That's okay. That's college. But God is not one of them. That's what we're going to spend fall quarter talking about. He doesn't change from Moses to Jesus. He doesn't change from Jesus 2,000 years ago to Jesus tonight. Tonight, Jesus is moved with compassion for you. He sees you. And he's willing to clean up whatever part of your life needs his touch as you come out of summer and get into fall. 
He's inviting you to follow him. This year, starting now. So what are you going to do? That's your call now. Here's how I want to close. I want to invite the worship team up so they can get ready. And while they start to play, we're going to take some time to reflect on what we've talked about. Just musical instruments going, and you just think. You can write notes if you want to on the back of that announcement sheet. Just take some time to process what's going on in your mind and in your heart right now. And while they start to play, to pray, while we reflect, I want you to think about something important. Many of you are just starting college. And so I want to give you a chance tonight to decide tonight if you want to follow Jesus in college. Maybe you come from a Christian background. That's fantastic. I want to give you a chance tonight to kind of plant a flag at the start of your college experience, the first week of school, to say, I will follow Jesus in college. He can have my life. Others of you, you, maybe you don't have a religious background. That's great too. But maybe what you've heard tonight has grabbed you by the heart. And you're ready to start following Jesus a lot like those first disciples started following Jesus. They weren't exactly sure what they were getting into, but they were willing to follow him to find out. So wherever you're at, if you're deciding to follow Jesus in college, then after we've got some time to reflect while the band plays, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to invite you, if that's you making a decision, I'm going to invite you to stand. Now here's why. I want you to stand because I think doing something with your body adds muscle and bone to what you're deciding to do in your heart and mind. It's not magic. Nothing changes by standing. But it's a statement. And it's brave. And following Jesus in college takes bravery. Others of you, you need a little bit more time to process. That's totally fine. There's no pressure to decide tonight. We've got all kinds of people in our family who are still trying to figure out what they want, if they want to follow Jesus. But if you're ready, I'm going to pray right now, and then the music's going to play a bit, and you think about it. And then I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to invite you to stand if you want to follow Jesus in college.